Welcome back, folks, to Two Brits, One Puck. I'm your host, Mr. Intangibles and a DIY boy, Dan Masters, with my good friend, the leader of Hockey Human Resources and a man who once ate bat soup. Will Everett Human, Will, how you doing? Uh, very well, Dan. Very well. I'm a, uh, yeah, you're not the only DIY boy on the podcast this week. I put up a bit of flat pack oh. furniture myself this week. Oh, <laughs> big Billy Ikea coming check, in hard with the flat out, pack. Mate. Check me out, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. I did have a different question of the week. I changed it last minute with the Leafs trade. And we had a quick discussion about this over WhatsApp today. And I said that I get annoyed because teams just want to seemingly help other teams out instead of trying to rinse them. And I said that obviously the Leafs acquire Jack Campbell, goalie from the Kings, and Kyle Clifford for Trevor Moore and two picks. Third pick in 2020 and a conditional pick, which has a few things attached with it could become a second in 2021. I, I said that I believe that the Kings have just kind of come out kind of where they were already. And you said you disagree. Care to explain? Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I think that's a decent enough package for, for the Kings. Who do you think Kyle Clifford is? Well, I don't think he's anyone very good. But if you know that a team is in absolute desperation for a goalie, then you would, I would expect to get more back than Trevor Moore. Yeah, but they're not the only team that had a goalie. And it's not like Jack Campbell's anything special either. Like Jack Campbell is a perfectly adequate backup goalie and Kyle Clifford is a fourth liner that makes too much money. I, I don't know what more what more you want. It's not like they're fucking giving him Igor Shostyorkin or whatever and Clayton Keller. Some They're not particularly good players. And I think their package they've got is decent. Like Trevor Moore's going to be a good player. Trevor Moore's going to be better than Kyle Clifford. He's a bit older than you'd want a prospect to be. But that's just because he's a winger, and of all the teams in all the world, the Leafs are the only ones who don't need fucking wingers. I just would have thought you would have got one of their higher higher end prospects, like a real prospect for a for a backup like a, goalie, for a backup goalie in a fourth line who makes over a million dollars. Listen, right now, I get it. He's only a backup goalie, but it's need. When you're in business, it's about need. What do you need right now? You ever seen Wolf of Wall Street? Sell me this pen. <laughs> you create a market. If they've been talking about this for a few weeks and the Leafs have known they needed a backup goalie for ages, it was pretty clear that the prices in other places were just ridiculous. Like, I know everyone was saying about, oh, like Georgia from the Rangers, there's no way they're giving him up for anything less than a first or a conditional first at least. I mean, they're going to want an absolute fortune for him. Other players maybe wouldn't have worked out. And it seemed like in the end, Jack Campbell was pretty much the only kind of answer. So I would have expected a little bit more. I'm not saying it's terrible for the Kings, but I would have expected a little bit more. I, I just think like... Who's to say that Georgiev wasn't wasn't on the on the market sort of thing? Like it's just people on Twitter who are saying they wouldn't give him up for more than the first. There are plenty of other goalies out there that you that could be had. It's not like the LA Kings were the only people with a goalie who's available. I see like, what you're saying, but I don't know. I don't if, know. If it was this package for, for Georgiev, I'd think well, Georgiev's a different one because you know, both teams are in a are in a hard place where the, the Leafs True. need a backup. And the, the Rangers have too many goalies. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a bad package from either, either sense. Like, Trevor Moore's probably going to turn into a, a perfectly good third-line winger as soon as right now, which is an improvement over Carl Clifford. And what, Jack Campbell for, for a third and... Okay, so, so it's... it's in, two picks. Two picks, at least. So it's definitely a third, and then the other one's a 2021 pick that's at least a third, if not potentially a second, if either Carl Clifford re-signs with Toronto or... The Leafs make the playoffs and Jack Campbell wins six regular season games. The the Kyle Clifford re-signing one's hard because if I'm Toronto, I just don't re-sign him. 
if Campbell doesn't win six games. But yeah, you're at least looking at Trevor Moore and two third round picks. Like, I I don't see any problem with that for the Kings. I suppose I don't know. I just think I just think that I just think the market was I think the market was there for the Kings to do better out of that. Maybe well, a bit better, but I think I, I just think and like a an extra like a better player maybe than Trevor Moore. I don't know, mate. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Trevor Moore. I think you're underestimating how good Trevor Moore might be. No, you could, to be fair, you could be right. You could be right. That's a fair point. And it's, the one last thing I'll say on Trevor Moore is it's not strictly about, you know, he's not going to turn into a top offensive threat in the league or something, but he's going to be a good, cost-controlled player who can play on your, on your third line, maybe middle six sort of thing. And that's, Christ, that's not bad at all, is it? I suppose. You do need those You do need those players as well, don't you? That is Absolutely. True. He's going to be better than better than Carl Clifford, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, you would, well, yeah, you would hope so. Is uh, is Jack Campbell the answer to their problems? Do you think? Oh, maybe I don't know. Like it's it's just that goaltending voodoo thing, isn't it? He's got to be well, better than Hutchinson, isn't he? And and in a different universe, yeah. Hutchinson would have been fine. Hutchinson was uh, was terrible against the Panthers. Christ just like, yeah, just really bad. And as soon as that game finished, I'm sure Dubas was just thinking, okay, that's it. I can't. We have to just do, yeah, whatever the price is now, we have to just do it, and that's it. Well, the trade was made during the game, wasn't it? Was it during the game? I, I didn't. So, I thought yeah. it was straight after. Oh crap! Well, that was, or, or, <laughs> well, yeah, well, least, as he's watching the game. <laughs> if it wasn't he's dur- watching the game, he's... yeah. If it wasn't during the game, at least um, Dubas is on the phone working it out during the game while he's watching Hutchinson play. <laughs> that first goal goes in. He's like, "Fuck this! Let's get rid of it." Yeah, that's it. We're done. Good stuff. Let's go with it, shall we? Let's smash it. everybody it's that time of the week it is the smooth recap don't sleep on the toronto maple leaves this season we were told yet that does seem to apply to kasparri kapanen as he oversleeps and misses a team practice as cam talbot and mike smith proved this past week goalie fights are much like offer sheets rarely seen and rarely satisfying as the two netminders provided fans with the least donny brook known to man Fans of Magic in Florida rejoice as the Panthers lead the league in hat-tricks as Mark Pissick scores the Cats' fifth hat-trick of the season. What a magician. Jamie Benn has proven himself to be an absolute pillar of gentlemanly conduct after electing to play the buck instead of bludgeoning Jake Musson's head from his shoulders during the Stars League game. Give your boy the Lady Bing immediately. Before the season... We all expected the second overall pick, like a cow with dynamite strapped to it, to explode out of the gate. But things have taken a bit longer for Capo Caco. With that said though, he now has more points than any other 18-year-old in New York Rangers history. We finally got to see a new 50 in 50 this week, albeit not quite what fans were looking for, as Roman Yossi becomes the first Predators defenseman to notch 50 points in 50 games. Ilya Samsonov became the third rookie goalie in history to win 11 games in a row. With GM's pension for overpaying goalies, where will Brayden Holtby be making $10 million next year? Place your bets now. Patrick Lyonet wasn't mincing words on the Dustin Bufflin situation. 
pointing out that the D-man makes a lot of money, and if he doesn't want to play anymore, we could have used that for something else. I assume he's referring to the lacklustre Jets Christmas party. Rasmus Darlene only needs six more points to become the second highest growing teenage defenceman in NHL history. With him and Jack Eichel on the team, surely the Sabres are real contenders. I'd just like to close with a polite request for Tyler Sagan to start scoring some goddamn goals. Thanks mate, we really appreciate it. And that was your smooth recap. Okay then, who is winning the cup? Dan, I made no apologies for this one. It's the new trailer for the Final Fantasy VII remake because it looks incredible. <laughs> yep, agreed. It's fantastic. Mate, did you did you play it? I never remember whether you played the original. I did indeed play the original. Oh, there you go. I was one of those boys who sat there mouth, as they say, agog as I played this game, realizing things at the time. Oh my god, this cutscene is now playable. Oh my god, the world is bigger than I first thought, and all those things. The the thing that only really struck me today, and this is ex- you know, exposing just how dumb a person I am. I was thinking, if this is a success, which it undoubtedly will be, I wonder if it'll like pave the way for other games to, to follow suit. Yeah, because obviously we've seen remasters before and sort of upscaled ports and all that stuff, but not a true ground-up remaking of, of a 9-30-year-old game in modern graphics. Mate, this is going to be such a success. Trust me. People of my age and younger, I this honestly, it's it's gonna. I'm not, it's not gonna break records because it's ridiculous. Nothing will beat GTA Five as you know for records. It's because that's ridiculous. But it will sell, as they say, a metric fuck ton. I just, I'm trying not to get too hyped up about it, but the more I no, see, it just, it just looks incredible. It looks so good, and I just think they can't mess it up. They can't. What is kind of weird is that, like the film industry, they will recycle films. It doesn't happen that much in the gaming industry, which is kind of weird. I know it's kind of happening a bit more now, but you kind of get games like The Last of Us remastered from PS3 to PS4, or you had GTA V, PS3 to PS4. It's pretty rare that they just take an old game that everyone says was amazing and go, right, we're going to give it a full-on makeover, which they seem to do with films all the time. You always get remakes of films, but you don't get it of games. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because the game industry would just reject it or, or what. I don't know. But um, it just surprises me that doesn't really happen. I think it's it's partly because like IPs don't move from studio to studio very often in the same way that they do for films True. and stuff like that. And there's there's something like inherently different about gaming ver- games versus films where it's a more interactive media and and like the the mechanics of each individual game contribute so much to what that game is if that makes any sense yeah to no, over, i get it to overhaul it you'd either be making the same thing that just looks a bit prettier or you'd be changing it fundamentally so it wouldn't be a remake of the same game if that makes sense yeah i know what you mean i'm just thinking about all the games i played when i was really young like yeah. elite and stuff like that i mean games that like came out in like 1985 and 86 mm. i just or st- i've said for years like why is nobody remade streets of rage I don't know if you've ever played that, but oh, it was mate. a side, yeah, side yeah. scrolling beat 'em up. They're bringing out a fourth one soon. Are they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I had no idea. I think it's yeah, and out. I just thought, God, imagine like a side scrolling beat 'em up or like in today's market, it'd be unbelievable. That's a that's but a then, genre yeah, that's sort of fallen to the wayside a bit. Your Streets of Rages, your your Double Dragons. Yeah, that's true. That is true. 
Final Fantasy VII is going to be amazing. Bye. Absolutely buzzing. Yeah. Absolutely buzzing. For me winning the cup this week, it's one person winning the cup, even though he's already won the cup, but Peter Sakura got his lap with the cup 20 years later. It was the Devils' 20th anniversary night of their 1999-2000 win. Obviously, they beat the Stars, sorry to bring that up well. But Sakura, of course, was uh, destroyed by Darian Hatcher in Game 6 of the finals and, and, couldn't, and he was in the hospital after the game when they'd won the cup and couldn't skate with the team, couldn't take his lap. And uh, Larry Robinson and Patrick Eliash did wear his jersey during the post-game, but he never got his chance to skate around with the cup. So it was pretty cool to see him come out. And he was the only guy, they lined up all the Devils players who could attend on, on the red carpet. Peter Sakura came out and got to do his, his lap, which was, uh, which was pretty cool 20 years later. So he, he did a lap at the game the other day with the cup. Yeah, yeah. Mate, nah, nah. What? That's not, that's not acceptable. It's absolutely acceptable. You're that's, crazy. Nah, that's that's mental. That's mental. You can't be, dude. That's... Think about think about what you go through as a hockey player to get to this to at least even get to a cup finals, and then you get to a cup finals and you get some dirty fucking hit by some classically dirty stars player. I mean, that's <laughs> what they do, but whatever. Yes, it was, and Peter Sakura right now has no idea what planet he is on. Darian, the are after Hatcherville. Darian Hatcher caught him coming across, and this was a, a hit that was like a Scott Stevens hit. Darian Hatcher caught Peter Sakura coming across to his side with his head down and just smoked him. It wasn't dirty at the time, though. Yeah, it wasn't in the title. Can I? It's like it's like assault now. Jesus, I watched it again the other day. It's fucking disgusting. Hell. So much of the stuff kills him. Absolutely offensive. kills him. I know. And it, that's a nice. That's a nice thing. Like he get because you can't. When when can you do it again? You can't do it the year after because now it's gone. Like, but a twenty year anniversary. That's a nice thing. Nah, that, you're you you hitting that on the head. It's gone. He should have done it. How long was he injured for? He was in the hospital when they were doing the lap with the cup. Like, what's he going to do? They're going to yeah, push he, his bed out onto the ice. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't in the. So what? That would have been let's let's say June. That would have been. He wouldn't have been in the hospital in August, would he? What's he going to do? Take it to his local rink? <laughs> just no, skate just around with it, it with it over his head with his jersey. Or do it. Or do it first game of the season next year because you're the champions. It's your cup. That's not the Devils' cup. It shouldn't be in their building. Wow. You call me Mr. 200 Hockey, mate, and you're like, oh my God, he's not even their cup. How, dis- how dare he? I'm, I'm <laughs> what a disgrace. Saying, I'm just saying, mate. What if, what if last year... Oh no, Dad, there isn't a comparison. Because like, at least in football, you, exactly. get like a, you get a replica. You get a replica of like the Premier League trophy or the Champions League trophy or whatever. So you can just take your, your little fake one that you won out. There's only one Stanley Cup. Like That's not... Nah, bruv. It's not theirs. Peter Scorer shouldn't be touching it. Too late, mate. You missed a missed a boat. You're mental. I like the fact that, like, in your in, in this analogy, a Premier League player, say from the Arsenal Invincibles, who couldn't play in the final game of the season, like if he wants to lift his trophy, gross. he has to take a replica down to Hackney Marshes and pick it up <laughs> and pretend there's like forty thousand people. There. No, I'm, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that because because Arsenal have their own version of the Premier League trophy at the Emirates. So yeah, if you wanted to do like a 20-year anniversary, you could do it with the cup that you own because you won it. The whole point of the Stanley Cup is there's only one of them. So it's 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 not theirs to win. It's not theirs to, to I mean have to be now. I mean to be fair, I mean maybe the cup was made out of tin foil 
I don't know how injured uh, Sakura still is. It might <laughs> it looked like the real cup, but I don't know. Maybe one of the kids made it or something. If if it was a fake one, then fair enough. But if it, if it was a real thing, right now. Nah. Get on the phone to Devil's PR team and find out. I've got a complaint to make. Was that the real cup? Because I'm very annoyed if it was. Because it bloody well shouldn't have been. They aren't the champions. They shouldn't have the cup. The, the, the Blues should have done what the Colorado Eagles did with the Kelly Cup in the ECHL. Just fucking keep it. This, this, We're this is what it happens. Sakura gets his lap. Because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, jammy little fuckers like, oh, let's just take it, take it around our house and have a little. Have a little tear with it. No, it's not your fucking cup. <laughs> did he want any drink out of it as well? I don't know. I didn't watch. I didn't see that much. But right. maybe he did. I hope you know what. I hope he did now. I hope he did. I hope he got a naked stripper and sat her ass in it as well. Well, that's that's <laughs> just why to really annoy cup to sit his naked ass in. Not that stripper. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Oh dearie me. In light of you changing your relegation to Peter Sakura oh, getting a with the cup. <laughs> Obviously, I was going to say exactly that. Yeah, you should have called an audible and done that. Oh, <laughs> He's getting mate. relegated. Well, now, now that you've stolen my joke, I'm going to have to go to the old clan. I feel a little bit bad about this, but not bad enough to change what I'm going to say. I'm going to directly call out Mark Lazarus, a Blackhawks beat writer for The Athletic. And he's getting relegated for saying that the Blackhawks are relevant again. Such an incredibly bad take. It's literally killing me. No, no, they're not relevant again. The Blackhawks are fucking shits. And they have a terribly put together roster that's just getting older and older every day of the week. If you're a few points out of a wild card spot, you're not fucking relevant again. You're basically the Minnesota Wild. Get over it. I just think, like, to say that a team that's won three cups this decade is now relevant again. Do you know what I mean? I get yeah, it. Not, not but... this decade, mate. Last decade. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. It's three over. cups in the last 10 years. To say they're, like, they're relevant again is a bit. All right. Come on, mate. What are you talking about? Yeah, but my my point is like they're they're not from a competitive standpoint. They're always going to be relevant in the fact that they're like America's answer to the Leafs, basically. But yeah, from a competitive standpoint, they're still just another team in the in the muddy middle, at the bottom of the muddy middle. At that, they're they're effectively the Kings, but they've got a slightly better record this year. There you yeah, go. go so, sorry, lads, bad takes. Get relegated on this show at least. Indeed, we will call out people on this show as no one else seems to. That's another. Who? That's another burning desire for me to to have a rant at some point in the future. But we'll save it for this week because we've got a, we've got a lot of going on. We've, this we've week. got a bit to got a bit to chat about. Who are who are you going to relegate in that case? Uh, I'm just going to relegate hockey. Yep. Good, good choice. No <laughs> broad no questions. Yep, it's, it's a broad spectrum. Emerson Clark. I don't know if you know this name. Will uh, of the Jacksonville Iceman has okay. been suspended by the ECHL for 16 games. There was a fight between uh, the Fort Wayne Comets uh, okay, and the Jacksonville yeah. Iceman. And Clark was being restrained by linesmen from going into a melee on Friday. And he was punished for a combination of his game misconduct, for physical abuse of officials, because obviously he was trying to like get them off him, and for being a repeat offender. I'm only relegating hockey because it turns out that fighting on the ice against another man in a different jersey, that's okay. He was being restrained by a linesman. You can't really do that things out to officials. He gets 16 games. Fine. If you can cast your mind back a few weeks, Brandon Manning racially abused a player. He got five games. So, you if know. He, if he'd have racially abused a ref, it'd have been 25 games. Yeah. Or if or if maybe somebody in a striped shirt had said, <laughs> you can't do that. And then he pushed him off and said, no, let me go out there. That's 10 games. But dropping racial slurs and everything is only five games. Yeah, and that makes complete, that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah, it really does because because hockey is 
only a physical sport, you know. Words, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, Dan, but words will never hurt me. So you've ever heard that before. <laughs> a, I have indeed. It's a motto that the ECHL really takes to heart and really tries to <laughs> run its entire league by. <laughs> that is the hockey motto, isn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones. Names could not hurt me. Oh, hockey, you card. <laughs> Your absolute card. Absolute card. All right. How many starters and scratches you got? Uh, I've got two starters and uh, one. No, I've got no scratches because I can't use that scratch anymore. Interesting. Okay, no scratches. There's been nothing in hockey over the past two weeks that's annoyed you even slightly. Well, uh, this has been too much is the problem. You know that episode of The Simpsons <laughs> when Mr. There's Burns goes to the doctors? On. Yeah, too many things trying to get through the door. All right, I'll, I'll, mention, <laughs> I'll mention the scratch. I'll, I'll, I'll do my scratch. I've got one scratch. It's not even a hockey-related scratch. There you go. Fantastic. Okay. All right. So I've got I got three starters, two scratches. So I'll go first. I'm going to start Jake Gardner, who convinced okay. seven of his teammates to do a polar plunge in support of raising funds for awareness of the Special Olympics. Oh, uh, because excellent. Jake Gardner, yeah, Jake Gardner has a brother-in-law, uh, Sam Cashin, who is a competitor at the Special Olympics. So Jake and seven of the other Hurricanes dove into an icy, well, I wouldn't say icy, but a freezing bloody cold body of water when it was 40 degrees outside. And as somebody who's done raft building in March and then decided to jump in the water, with a wetsuit on mind, I can tell you that doing it in just your shorts takes balls of steel. And a good cause. So well done to Jake Gardner. Power to him. Power to him. Just speaking of disabled athletes, did you see that photo of the football on crutches? Did you see that photo the other day? No. I don't know how new it was at all. Um, I forget what brought it up anyway, but it's um, it's football on crutches. So I only saw the two players in the photo, but they each have one leg. And it's player in blue coming down the wing, got the ball. And player in red coming from the right side of the photo, absolutely Roy Keenan, this geezer in the side of the knee. <laughs> Jesus. So, and it, where he's on crutches and like more, I, I don't know, there's just something about it that just looks so horrendous absolutely horrendous really deliberate and like more controlled than a than an all tackle that's just oh it, it doesn't matter how you're playing the game you know what what your ability level is what sort of what things you need to get through to be able to play the game everyone still loves a stunts up challenge to the knee everybody does it's you know what it is yeah i'm gonna be you have to be really careful that i, I am gonna be careful trying to navigate what i'm about to say but it doesn't matter if you're able-bodied or if you've got a mental disability or a physical disability. You put on a jersey or a shirt and you've got 10 mates wearing the same jersey and same shirt, you still get that blinding rage moment where you're like, I'm going to fucking keen this mother... Yeah, I'm going to fucking keen this motherfucker. He's dead. It doesn't matter what your what you like, your ability or anything is. But you, and, you, and you kind of forget that. You kind of forget like, oh yeah, disabled people must get fucked off on the field as well. They must get like thinking, right, you're fucking mine. <laughs> you don't think it happens, but of course it does. It's a big part of the quality that gets overlooked a lot, really, Dan. It's the fact that it's we're, true. All just, we're all just as horrible as each other. It's so true. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> Fantastic. The geese were even looked uh, a little bit like 90s Kino as well, so it was fucking beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I'm going to start the San Jose Sharks because their players have decided to have individual goal songs and uh, Tomas Hurtle has the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme for his goal song, which is amazing. <gasps> beautiful. Hopefully they've dubbed over great? it so it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Hurtle. <gasps> oh my God, I didn't even put that together. 
Well played. Well played. Thank you very much. I was thinking they should have... So have you ever heard Gloomy Sunday by Billy Holiday? Not knowingly, no. Okay, yeah, it's it's referenced as the most depressing song ever played. And I feel the way the shark season's going, that could be a good goal song for <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's also... It's also called the suicide song, as as the rumor is that more people have committed suicide to this song than any other in history. Well, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> it's such a depressing song, dude. Terrible. I've got it's a "Gloomy Sunday" by Billy Holiday. Yeah, "Gloomy Sunday" by Billy Holiday. All right, cool. Yeah, if I'll you get uh... a chance, folks, uh, have a listen. Obviously, not when you're driving or stood on anything big. Well, I'll get some cleanse vodka and some JPS black and see what I can do. Next starter? That one about the football wasn't a starter. So that was a freebie. I've actually got three now. Oh, f- oh wow. Look at, look okay, at this. Okay. Look at this. This second one's going to be football related as well. Did you see that Newcastle fan the other night? <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, I did well. Yes. I'd, I'd assumed you Wait, had. You... I'd assumed you had. Do you, want to explain, do you want to explain to the good people at home what, uh, uh, what you're talking about? Gladly. So, so Newcastle United FC were playing in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Uh, they were playing a replay, wasn't it, Dan? It was indeed. Who were they playing? Uh, Oxford United. Oxford United, the, the the mighty Oxford United. So Newcastle haven't made the fifth round of the FA Cup in over a decade, I want to say. Yeah, it's been a while. Sounds about right. It's been a long time, which is a long time for a club of, of their stature, a Premier League club. It's a bit shameful. So when, in the dying moments, it became obvious they had made the fifth round of the FA Cup... One brave fan rushed to the sideline as close as he could get to the pitch while still being in the stands and just had to share his elation by dropping his trowel, getting his hand around his penis and doing what men have done since the dawn of time, live on national television. Isn't that just beautiful? It's amazing. If you're not sure what he's referring to, folks, it's called the helicopter. He was <laughs> helicoptering his dick, which is oh just, I don't know. Joe to be fair, Geordie fans are not... Yeah, Geordie fans are nutters, aren't they? So we shouldn't be surprised. I just wonder what's going to happen if like, they get to the sixth round. What's he going to do then? What if they get to the semi-finals? The final? What if they win the cup? I don't I don't know. I, I heard that he's been banned for life, you know, from going to stadiums. Yeah, because it's indecent exposure, isn't it? He's committed a crime. Yeah, <laughs> to be fair, yeah, I get it. But it was funny. I wonder if most conservative parents see that as better or worse than the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll have to do a poll. <laughs> Hilarious, wasn't it? Adam Levine from Maroon 5 gets half naked and no one says anything. Like two girls shake their ass and it's like, oh my God, what are we doing? But then then this Geordie <sighs> fan hasn't even made the news, I wouldn't say. So, True, probably not Probably not in America either. No, no, exactly. So there you go. Shame, really. He deserves more of, uh, more of applaudits, if you ask me. Speaking of applaudits, my third starter hey. is, uh, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say four words. Fucking Ovi is ridiculous. Uh, average. Ah. One dimensional. That's it. That's it. Christ, I like that. But 14 goals in seven games and three hat tricks in six games. 14 goals in seven games. Do you know why he didn't? Do you know why he didn't score one of those seven games? Disallowed or? No, because it was a suspension for missing the All Star game. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So it's 14 goals in six games. <laughs> 14 goals in six that he's played. <laughs> fucking hell! Well, he needed just... that rest, didn't he? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, he's just making a case for just rest. Load management. Load management. There you go. Ovi could have scored 80 goals if there was load, load management. Final starter? My final starter is going to be a shared spot. I'm going to start Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin, who are both on pace for a top five franchise save percentage in single season for the Stars. Two goalies in the same damn season 
top five all time in the franchise. What more could you ask for? Dude, Hidobin's just great, isn't he? Isn't oh, he just mate. great? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Cool, you talk about backup goalies who command more than uh, two thirds in a prospect. Fucking hell. Hudobin could have been a shout for underrated player, couldn't he? I know not like the most underrated, but oh, yeah. guys who don't get enough love. Like, he's got to be the best backup in the game, I reckon. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm going to reference both our teams, but Halak is decent as well. I always forget that Halak's still with the Bruins. Halak's good. Yeah, Halak's very good. Very, very good. I, I wonder if both of those goalies are going to be people who are uh, getting more money than they should in the summer. No, but they're probably not because they just, I don't know if it's that they can handle, obviously it's handling that workload, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. As a is backup, there, is there a great. team out there that's going to take a take a chance and say, "Yeah, we can have this guy as our starter," and then the magic's just not going to be there because they're trying to start rather than um, playing backup. That's true. Shout out to Scott Darling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how many scratches you got? How many? Yeah, how many was it? Uh, it's one. It's one. Kind of one. Unfortunately, folks, I do sometimes reference serious things on this show. Uh, I'm going to scratch death this week. A young Kazakhstan goalie. Vilem oh, Prokoviev passed away at the age of 18 due to a rare form of cancer that affects the bones and soft tissue in his legs. Um, yeah, it's very simple. Sometimes death can fuck the fuck off. It's always hard to lose someone, someone close to you, especially at such a young age. And thoughts to his family and teammates, absolutely horrible. Bad times. I, I've actually just got one off the top of the dome as I'm watching a game while we, uh, while we do this. And, and the adverts have reminded me of something that has pissed me the fuck off this month so far. Uh, I'm going to scratch yeah, yeah. the NHL's coverage of, of Black History Month. Yeah, they're doing more than, than they should do, than they have done previously. But the advert they're putting out has precisely zero black players in it, which is just fucking no, great. fucking kidding me. Just fucking great. It's got uh, a Tory Krug in it. <sighs> I want to say, no, not David Pass. Noted African-American. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Who's the other guy? Someone else. And, um, and Matt Dumber. And uh, Matt Dumber's half Filipino. Good. Good, there, good, good. There you go. I got nothing for that. Just, <laughs> you know. No, I thought, I thought it was a good, like, halfway. We'll go from death to the NHL's institutionalised inability to uh, to handle or, you know, handle race relations issues properly. And then hopefully for the next one, we can start making jokes again. Yeah, we went from death to stupidity. So that's yeah, a kind of a, the next stage. Yeah. I'm scratching Jason from Wave Intel. As sorry, Jason, but his life is getting scratched as his super smart, clearly he's punching above his weight wife, is heading off to the Democratic Republic of Congo to help with aid, and Jason's going to be alone at home with four children for five weeks. That's pretty rough. Yeah, rather you than me, Jason. Sorry, buddy. Sorry, dude. I'll do my best to send a care package over, but oh my god. I mean the irony is is that his wife's going to help people in times of desperation with aid. And when she gets back, that's going to be Jason. This is the problem, Dan, when we send all this stuff over to foreign aid and forget forget about our people at home. Bloody hell. Yeah, Mrs. Jason, charity bingings at home. You never heard that? Yeah. I mean, come on. Come on, this poor man's having to struggle with parenthood. What do people in (laughs) the Democratic Republic of Congo know about that kind of strife? Exactly, exactly. My uh, my other scratch that I can't really scratch is going to be Netflix's The Stranger, and I'll say nothing more on that until you've seen it, Dan. Oh, damn, a teaser scratch. There you go. I like no, it. No teaser scratch. Get those eight episodes done. We'll call it. And we'll do it next we'll week. We'll call it an itch. We'll, we'll call it an itch. Oh, How about cheeky that? Little cheeky little itch. Cheeky little itch. But you can't touch it yet, so it's just there. <laughs> you just got to just leave it. You don't want it to scar. Let's get on then. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and sometimes in some discotheques. 
Will is battling through illness and currently has the lurgy and his doctor actually prescribed him a five-star review on iTunes. As he said, that is the best medicine. So if you could leave one on there, it might stop my co-host from dying, which would be great. Thank you very much. This week's interview is a lot of fun. Like all of our guests, we could have spoken for about three hours, but Gillian Kemmerer is a Jersey girl with a love of Russia, so much so that she pivoted a career in financial journalism into covering the KHL and working all over the world in hockey. Gillian is absolutely crushing it, and by it, I mean life, and by life, I mean I was very intimidated. We covered everything from her parents' internal drive to working on Wall Street to walking around Moscow looking at gardens to James Bond. And in my opinion, Julian has become the go-to person for KHL News. Here she is, Julian Camera. The funny thing is, people are terrified of the computers taking over, but I think we're already there, aren't we? We are absolutely already there. Well, I don't know if you've gotten into this TikTok thing, but someone told me to get a, an account. And it's funny and it's kind of cool. It's where a lot of like the much younger people than me are playing around right now. And they don't recommend videos to you based on your interests. They recommend it based on machine learning and an algorithm. Whoa. And it's really bizarre what takes off and what doesn't. Like it's totally inexplicable because the computers are now smarter than us at knowing our preferences. And it just creeps me out royally. Yeah, I, I read somewhere a few, I think it was like six months ago, that a company, I'm probably going to say Google because they seem like the kind who would do this kind of thing, they got two computers to talk to each other without human interaction, but they had to shut it down within about three hours because the computers had already invented a language that nobody could understand. Oh my God, that's <laughs> to then so talk to each other. <laughs> Has nobody oh. seen Terminator? I mean, are we at this point now? Like, you know what happens, folks? It's just like roads made <laughs> We know space. how this ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Arnold Schwarzenegger can't reprise that role because he's getting older in real life. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's oh, it's so crazy. And th now they have that robot that they, I forget what her name is, but she, it's a machine learning robot and she even has developed empathy and sympathy and like can converse with you in a very emotionally profound way. And I just oh remember seeing her at a conference and being like, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Okay. So just before we start, or obviously a little bit of housekeeping, this one we put out as live. It's all edited afterwards. If there's anything you're not happy with or something you think, oh, I shouldn't have said that or something, just let me know and I can, I can remove it. It's no problem at all. That is a very lovely luxury. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, I don't know how people do like like live interviews, and I just think, oh my god, it's terrifying. I know. I had one over the weekend, and these guys were just hitting me with really kind of B list prospect after B list prospect, and I was like, this is terrifying. I don't. <laughs> why Why are we doing this live? And I was like, this is a kid you drafted in 2014 who hasn't even played 20 games in the KHL. Like, why are we doing? <laughs> yes, yeah, the pre the pressure of the uh, the young children in hockey. It's uh, and oh, it, yeah, brutal. you sometimes think are these are these kids do these kids want to do this? Is it just their parents? I mean, are they being pushed? I don't know. There was a, a famous soccer player a few years ago um, called uh, Benoit Asuakotu, and he famously was he hated football. He just hated playing <laughs> soccer. And so he said, well, why, why'd you play it? And he said, because I, I can do it. But he didn't know any other players. He didn't care about anything else. All he did was he went, and it was just his, literally his job was just to go to work, play football and go home. He didn't That's socialize unreal. with any teammates or anything. And I think, I wonder how many hockey players are like that. How many are just trying to, trying to live that, that Russian dream or that Canadian dream, you know? It's true. I would, I would hope in North America it's fewer, but in Russia, 
the parenting's very, um, it's very strict. It kind of has a tiger parent feel to it. And if you're right. a Russian of a certain financial status, you are going to push your kids to try and do something that is going to get them a lot of fame or a lot of money. And I've seen this now with young figure skaters on the female side and now increasingly hockey players. And I just think, come on, like, can we not do this? There's so many other sports hobbies. Like don't make the kid do the one thing that they dread waking up and doing. It's such a bad precedent. I know it's, it's always that thing of, cause I, I'm a, I'm a parent and I, I'm terrified of like, I just want my daughter to do a job that she wants to do. I don't want her to do yeah. a job for money or just, you know, and right now, I mean, she's eight years old, but right now she's hell bent on being a tattooist when she's older. So interesting. I'm like, that's hey, a that's, cool one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they make so much money. I said, look, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, they make loads of money, but just do something you want to do. So that's what she wants to do right now. But kids trying to live their parents' dreams for them. It's uh, it's really sad. It's hard. And I've seen it too with a lot of, um, I know a lot of NHL alumni and watching them, train their kids who probably will never live up to their parents' standards, either due to lack of talent or lack of interest and watching them push. That's actually one of the hardest situations I've encountered. It must be. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you're, I mean, I mean, anybody, anybody of any note in the NHL, if your kid, it's so hard. You just think I, I would just try and stay away from hockey as far away as possible. <sighs> I just, I just become a wheat farmer or something, just nothing yeah. <laughs> involving ice or cold weather or anything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's ridiculous. And that's such a hard I mean, it's very hard to break into professional hockey. So the kid has to be unbelievable on top of it. So I can't imagine the the pressure there. I guess I just want to talk about why I wanted to have you on and everything. It's when we started the show, it was more just me and my uh, colleague Will were just talking about hockey and you know, what kind of happened in the sport and like a like a recap kind of show. But we realized that there's a billion recap shows and, and there's a billion shows of I don't know, let's get X player A to talk about X player B and good old timey stories. And I just thought that's kind of a bit boring. I wanted to, so I wanted to get people on who are just involved in hockey. At the moment, I'm I'm just trying to arrange an interview with a, a photographer who covers uh, female hockey. Her name's Alana. Uh, her, memory, her name escapes memory now, her second name, but she, she messaged me back saying, I'm not sure why you've messaged me. I know nothing about hockey. I said, I don't care. Like, I don't want you to talk about hockey. I want you to talk about photography. But you obviously, That's you know, cool. you, you photograph hockey players. And yours is the same story. As soon as your name came across my radar, I was thinking, oh, this is really interesting. Because, uh, yeah, your story is not a hockey story. It's, it's a life story. And it's, like, fascinating. And reading your bio, I was just thinking, okay, I have to try and, like, get this person on to talk to you. And, I mean, <laughs> well, I could, thank you. No, no, it's fine. I, I could list all of your accomplishments, but that would make me feel really inadequate. So I'm not going to bother. <laughs> Let's start like right at the beginning. Uh, whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in CIL City, New Jersey, which is basically as far south as you can go in the state, right on the water. My parents lived on the bay, so I had a very lovely, uh, sunny childhood growing up around there, and, and I was never far from Philadelphia. That was the closest city to us, so um, inevitably I was passed on the unfortunate um, inheritance of being a Philadelphia sports fan across the board, oh, really? um, which okay. only recently paid off because we, we did win the Super Bowl in recent memory, um, but especially in hockey as a Flyers fan, I missed the Broad Street Bullies fun and just oh, kind of okay. gravitated directly to uh, to the losing years, as I call them. Yeah. <laughs> my best friend, who was best man at my wedding, actually lived in Philly for three and a half years. He's a humble brag. He's a nuclear scientist. I know a nuclear scientist, no big deal. Oh, whoa, but, uh, <laughs> they yeah. let him into Philly? Come on. <laughs> I know. But he moved up, yeah, he moved to Philly and he became an Eagles fan, which was horrendous for me because I'm a Cowboys fan, Jillian. So, oh, no. I mean, the good news is, conversation now. I, I mean, the good news is you can now laugh at me until the end of time because my team is horrendously terrible and just the laughing stop. <laughs> but um, yeah, so wow, great, oh. really. So, what did you? Uh, what did your parents do then? 
What was that um, like, sort of growing up? My mom. So my mom originally taught, and then she she's a really passionate. She's passionate about travel, which kind of put the wanderlust in me as a kid. So she started her own super successful travel agency, and she still owns that to this day. Wow. And my dad works in in title insurance, which touches the real estate business. It's a type of insurance you need in the states. I'm not sure if you have the same in the UK, but essentially, it makes sure that you're whatever you're buying is not actually entitled away to someone or something else. So he started his own business, both entrepreneurs, um, and, and had that for a very long time and only recently sold it, but is still involved in the business. So then that, obviously that instilled that kind of driving you to want to do your own thing, be your own person kind of thing. Yeah. It always impressed me that they were their own bosses and that they could drive their businesses in any direction they wanted. I think that's a luxury. Well, it's not a luxury. It's hard earned, but when you finally go to the working world and you know what it's like to have a boss and to answer to people that, you know, sometimes have your best interest at heart and sometimes don't, you realize the real value of putting in that kind of investment to to do your own thing. The, the risks are, I mean, yeah, I've, I have a massive respect for people who do that because the, 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 all people see is the rewards of that kind of, oh, your own boss, that must be amazing. Get up when you want, but you don't. You have to work even harder, don't you? Because you've put everything of yourself on the line. Yeah. I remember there was some kind of quote that someone passed around about entrepreneurship and the hard work that goes in at the beginning to be able to give you that freedom in the end. But a lot of people can't handle that that pressure at the beginning or, or it's just impossible for them to take on with families and other things. But it's it's really quite a commitment and it's remarkable, remarkably brave to put yourself out there like that, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what made you pursue a career in journalism then? Sort of what, how did that come around then if your parents didn't have much to do with that side of things? So my family was always super passionate about sports. And so I grew up in and around it on TV, going to games and the flyers captured my imagination from when I was very, very young. Actually, in fact, they weren't too bad when I was around seven, eight years old. And and later they kind of fell off, fell off the planet a little bit. But I remember, you know, as a kid thinking to myself, well, I suppose there weren't, there was women's hockey at the time, but it's not something that was in my immediate purview. So playing hockey never really felt like an option to me. And I remember thinking, God, I wish I could work in this, in this industry. I wish I could be around it. So as a nine, 10 year old, the one thing that came to mind was how can I get the closest to the ice as possible without being on it and being a hockey reporter was sort of the the thing that I came to, the conclusion I came to. So I started writing letters to Comcast Sportsnet, which I think is now NBC, and essentially writing to the Flyers commentators and being like, yo, I'm nine, give me a job. And <laughs> oddly, oddly enough, and, and some of the letters were actually moderately threatening. I read them back in, in later years and I was like, wow, that was that was an aggressive lead. You didn't need to go that far. <laughs> And to their credit, the the Flyers commentators called me back. In fact, Steve Coates, who used to host a color show called um, Coatesy's Corner Between the Periods, he got on the phone with me for over an hour when I was about 10. And he talked to me very seriously about my ideas and my interest. And later on, maybe a couple years later, they started hosting a sports broadcasting camp for aspiring journalists. And I wound up attending that. And to this day, the Flyers play-by-play, Jim Jackson keeps in touch and reviews my reels and acts as a mentor. So it's sort of remarkable what those guys did for me and and what they've continued to do. So it was a a passion from a very young age. I didn't take a straight shot there. I, I wound up going off into other into other beats and topics, but I I definitely always harbored that that desire from when I was a little girl. I've often said this on the show, when you're a fan of the the number four sport in the US, you almost feel like you're in a secret club. 
And like, yes. I don't know, like you kind of, I remember I was on, oh God, I was on holiday about two years ago and a guy walked past me in an Islanders cap and I kind of went, oh, like that. And he looked at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I was thinking, oh my God, hockey fan, hockey fan. Like, and I couldn't. Yeah. Because like, we're, it's oh like this God. little secret. I kind of, and I was on a, I was on an island in Spain. It's just not where you think you see like, I don't know, like hockey merch, but yeah, it, it's that kind of thing. And I think they, maybe they thought the same thing. Like, hang on, there's a young girl here wanting to talk to us. Like, this is great. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I always, you know, it's funny. I did always feel that way about hockey. Like it was the best kept secret. Nobody knew but me and like a hundred of my closest friends. So it's funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, I do feel that way. Was he wearing an Islanders beanie on an Island in Spain? Cause that seems a bit aggressive or was it like a baseball hat? Or, no, Cause I always think of hockey cap. gear as being warm. Okay. That's yeah. Fair. No, it's a, <laughs> he was wearing a beanie on and like it's 40 <laughs> degrees outside. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? That's a real diehard fan. I mean, and, and for the Islanders, I can imagine those people exist. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> you, you brought up women's hockey doing the show as well. I wanted to get people on of different sexual orientation, different backgrounds, race, creed, everything. And we had NHL history girl Jen on. We had uh, Meredith Foster, who writes for the Ice Garden. And I asked them the same question because me and Will can talk about women's hockey, but we have, to be honest, we have no bloody idea what we're talking about because we're guys. We don't know how it is in, in you know, for, in, in that world. And what do you think would be a, a good step to take women's hockey forward? I know that this is a really loaded question and I apologize, but there we go. No, are. don't apologize. It's a question that, that we all should be asking ourselves. And it's actually one I've been thinking a lot about. In fact, I just filed a story last night about the Women's Hockey League in Russia. So I think history has dictated, at least in the United States, that a women's league attached to an existing men's league, borrowing from its intelligence, its resources, its personnel, its training, has traditionally done the best. And the NHL has been so reluctant or has been so slow to actually go ahead and stick their necks out to put women's hockey on the map. And in Russia, that's actually not the case. The KHL is completely sponsoring and operating the WHL, which is the Russian Women's Hockey League that's been in existence for a couple of years. And when you speak with any woman, and there are quite a few North Americans that are involved with the WHL. In fact, they have a team in China uh, that is paired up with their KHL team, the Kunlun Red Star, and the women's team is the Shenzhen Bankarays. And it's staffed with a lot of North Americans, including on the ice. When you ask them what sets the WHL apart, they say that there's not this fear of, of the men's side taking over or being competitive. It's actually this incredible collaboration of men on the sidelines who are supporting and lending their knowledge of running a league and the operational principles and lending it to the women and, and training them and helping them. And that collaborative atmosphere, and especially on the financial side, I mean, women's hockey would, I think, can't exist in the U.S. without the NHL support, at least at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but watching that develop in Russia, it, it makes me realize that while it's not perfect, and of course the WHL has plenty of things to learn, it really is a remarkable testament to playing the long game and making the long-term investment in women's hockey. And the results are starting to pay off. Russia is starting to perform well on the global junior stage. Um, the games are getting more and more attendance. In China, they're getting 3,000 on opening weekend, for example. That's a really remarkable number for a women's hockey game in a country where hockey didn't really exist in professional form in, in recent memory. So I think personally, borrowing from the experience of these leagues 
you know, having these men on board as mentors and not just men, but women who worked within the NHL. And unfortunately, women working within men's sports leagues, it's still far too low to be palatable. Um, But getting those women and using all of that knowledge and and applying it is so fundamental. And it seems so simple, but it just doesn't happen. And that's what I think needs to be happening in North America. And it's already happening in Russia, surprisingly. Being a man, it's easy for me to say these things, but I I would think that, yeah, the NHL steps in and just says, look, here's a ton of money. We can afford to lose some of it. Our TV deal is worth, you know, ridiculous amounts of dollars every year. Just take it and it'll help us grow the game. Um, you, you would think that the NHL would be all over this to, because like I said, it's the number four sport in the US. Like you want to grow the game and especially with, with hockey being a world game because baseball, basketball and the NFL, while they're popular, you, you don't have an NFL World Championships because it's just played in North America. So you would think that the NHL will be all over this to think, well, hang on a minute, we've already got a base in Europe. We've already got... I mean, they could have teams on the East Coast, uh, women's teams on the East Coast, playing teams in Russia or Sweden or if they wanted to sort of go that route. And um, yeah, I am surprised you haven't done it yet, but I guess there's lots of red tape around it and everything at the moment. They've they've definitely framed it as a, this is not a financially feasible or financially profitable decision. That's at least my my broad takeaway. And yeah. I haven't spoken directly with Gary Bettman to know which way or the other. But the interesting thing about the WHL in Russia, for example, is that there's only eight teams and they're not all attached to pre-existing KHL squads. Some of them are, but it's a smaller league. It's a shorter season. Their playoffs are, are shorter. And so you look at it and you say to yourself, at least this is a place to start. We don't need 10,000 teams. And we don't need gold-plated lockers, but we need the basics and we need the operational knowledge and equivalence of, of how the men are working. Because, for example, in women's hockey, my friend Steph Klein, who's the equipment manager for the Vunkeray, says, in men's hockey, it is assumed that tape is waiting for you at practice and the opposing team makes that tape available. In women's hockey, they would arrive and there would be no tape or there were actually times when she was carrying pucks with her back and forth on the road. I mean, no pucks available for practice. It's ridiculous. So when you think of those basics, I mean, they seem silly, but that's the kind of stuff that's being overlooked. And and that's where we need to step in and have the exact same operational framework. And only the NHL can do that. And they can do it quicker and more easily than anyone on the outside looking in. So I do think that they have a duty to to grow the game. And I think that if they would make that short-term or take that short-term financial hit, there is a long-term play. And I think you only have to look at U.S. women's soccer to begin to understand what it could look like. Absolutely. I mean, that's a I mean, that's, I mean, the men, yeah, it's amazing. The, the men's US team is, is just terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. And they've thrown so much money at it. Yet the women's team is, is so dominant. It's absolutely ridiculous. When we spoke to Meredith Foster, and like she covers women's hockey in Scandinavia, and she told us about the, it was either the Swedish, it was either the women's junior team or the women's team, but they were playing a game in Finland. And to take a plane home, it would have taken them an hour. But instead, they had to go by boat, which took 10 hours. <laughs> Like, she's like can you imagine like i don't know like say vancouver playing boston or something it's like well you got to drive back like what <laughs> there's no yeah. way like, it's atrocious not, moving back to back to journalism you started your career on wall street how did that come about <laughs> so i i started my career as a financial journalist i i graduated during actually one of the worst job markets in the u.s it was right after the recession Um, And I graduated in New York and I I wanted desperately to be a journalist. The sports thing was always in the back of my mind. But to be completely frank, 
and I'm so glad that this has changed. I didn't feel at the time that I really had all that many options because I was kind of nerdy. I had a degree in economics. I wanted to be a smart reporter. I wanted to do the deeper stories, the day two, day two stuff. And I didn't see a whole lot of entry-level options that had feasible paths anywhere and, and let alone be able to pay enough in the short term to actually be able to live and work in New York City because you can't make a basic salary in New York and survive. The the rent is too high. Everything else that comes along with living in New York is too high. So I figured to myself, okay, I'm interested. And I was interested genuinely in, in business and economics. And, you know, I always thought that sports would somehow play in or I'd find my way back to them. And so when nothing really materialized in that particular industry, I thought, well, if I cover finance and business, one of the things I've always been interested in is the business of sports. So maybe I'll have an opportunity to pivot a bit that way on the side or eventually full time. So I made the decision kind of pragmatically when I first graduated and, and it wound up being a really, I don't regret the decision at all. It wound up being a really formative decision because financial journalism is really hard. Um, breaking scoops on hedge funds, which is the, the part of finance I was focused on, is really hard. You have to be an incredibly well-versed reporter. You have to be able to develop sources, work under pressure. You have to be able to take a lot of flack from the people you're reporting on who threaten to sue and everything else because they have a lot to lose. And you have to be really meticulous because the data is difficult. You know, you could risk basically moving the market or you could risk someone's job or investment if you make a mistake and you have plenty of people with plenty of ulterior motives talking to you it just it's a very trial by fire kind of beat and i'm it, at the time it was immensely uncomfortable especially as a woman working in those circumstances because especially in the hedge fund world it's almost entirely uh, dominated by men and also, given the power dynamic and how difficult the subject matter was, there were just times when I would go home and I would literally have the jitters until the middle of the night because the whole thing was such a pressure cooker. But at the end of the day, I, I think I learned a lot about myself and about journalism in general. And I had a tough editor who, who put the fear of God into me, and I really was grateful for that because it made me just overall a better reporter. But it was a, an interesting couple of years. I, I got to travel the world. I got to meet some really interesting people. I did get some of those sports business stories on the side. But yeah, it was a, a kind of interesting way to kick off my, my sports reporting career eventually. I always think back to my life in my formative years and bosses or... I mean, God, even when I was sort of 10 or 11 and I was I was sort of uh, doing martial arts training and stuff like that, there would be people I would just be terrified of. And again, like, what I mean, they're not going to, all they're going to do is shout at you when you're like, my, you know, when I was like younger, like 10, 11, 12, 13. And then at the Except time... Except in martial arts, they could kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, then when you look back on it, you think, oh yeah, that was the best thing. That's what I needed. But at the time, yeah. you don't you don't seem to realize it. But yeah, like these people push you and drive you and... I guess it's that, you know, obviously there's a fine line, isn't it, between, you know, pushing somebody aggressively or, you know, going too far. But I always find it interesting that those people I look back on when I was terrified of them at the time. But now I just think, oh, thank, you know, thank God they were there to, to make me push on and do other things. I've been watching this documentary called Cheer on Netflix. And like everyone thinks I'm crazy, but hear me out on this. It's this unbelievable documentary about competitive cheerleading at a college in Texas. Oh, my, yeah, my daughter watched that. Oh, my God. I <laughs> 
I'm obsessed. I'm going full out, as they say. And I was, I, I, I binged, I binged it. And this woman who runs it, Monica, I forget her last name. She's this super tough coach. I mean, she pushes them to their literal mental and physical limits, but the respect and the adoration they have for her off the back of it. I mean, you look at it sometimes and you think, why would you ever go back? This woman is insane. She's pushing you through pain. <laughs> But they realize the value of what she's given them. She's given them self-belief. She's given them a launch pad to figure out what their own limits are. And she had this great quote. It was like, do it until you get it right and then keep doing it until you can't get it wrong. Something along those lines. And, and I thought to myself, yeah, that's exactly right. You have to, the, the repetition, the pressure, the all of that eventually leads to you being able to perform on a bigger stage. So I'm, I'm 100% behind that. I don't think we have to be mean or horrible or like dogmatic. And I hate those shows like dance moms where they're screaming at these little kids and everything else, but mentors and and bosses that push you. I mean, it sucks at the time, but boy, does it pay off. Yeah. I know which quote you, uh, there's a, there's a quote I've heard before, which is an amateur practices until he can get it right. A professional practices until he can't get it wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. She's riffing off of, and it's so true. It's so true. So you mentioned uh, sort of working sources before when you're a journalist I've, I've always I've always wanted to ask a journalist this so there's, there's two kind of parts to this how do you know when somebody gives you a story okay this is something I should run with I should look into this because it seems like it's there and have you ever wondered why people would give you information because I've always oh, I used like, to wonder all the time it's this is gonna sound crazy but I'm also into uh, I like pro wrestling and wrestlers professional wrestlers are the worst for giving dirt on each other and professional wrestlers <laughs> will talk to wrestling journalists all the time about things they shouldn't. And somebody always says, why do these guys talk to you? And we don't know. Like they, they always say, we don't know. We, we think like maybe there's like a sense of power to it or something. But I wondered what your take was on, on something like that. You have to be careful. So I think there are two reasons why or three reasons why people might talk to you. The first is that they have an ulterior motive that they're trying to push. So they talk to you to get a story out there that benefits them in some way, shape or form. Sometimes that can turn out to be okay, but sometimes it's obviously misinformation. It's something meant to drive a course of events in a different direction. In sports, it could be to drive a bigger deal, a bigger signing. In in finance, it could be a multitude of, of reasons related to the market, to an investment, to a hire. So that's the first reason. And, and you have to get kind of good at snipping that out. But I, I think you tend to feel it. And the person tends to be manically excited to give you the information. You don't have to pry it out of them. I don't know. I, you develop a feel for it after a while. The second, I think, is is why most journalists do what they do and, and why they, they develop relationships. That's because people genuinely trust you and they recognize that they can talk to you and that you won't do them wrong and that there is an interesting story to be told. Um, and then the third reason I think is for the, there are people who talk to journalists for the public good. And I think in sports and in finance, that's maybe less, less relevant. Um, sometimes it is, but you know, you get a bit more on the second note, which is that someone trusts you and, and they're willing to open up and tell their story. And, and that trust factor is immensely important. I, I think the, the toughest thing is walking the line between being a source and being a friend, because at the end of the day, you can't be best friends with your sources, right? Because you you need yeah. information. There is an exchange there. But at the same time, how can you not develop a relationship with someone who you trust? Because I have to trust you as a journalist to tell me what things that are right or to put me in the right direction. But you also have to trust me too. So it's a very delicate relationship that that really requires a lot of nuance, I think. So have you ever been close to 
sort of investigating or we were ever close to publishing a story or going to your editor to like at the last second realize you were being if this is the right word duped or led on or did you ever come close to sort of like putting your foot in it because somebody tried to use you um i've i've definitely had cases where i've done an interview and i i read it back especially after the the moment and I think I really should have pushed harder on this, you know, especially I find that this happens a lot with athletes looking back at their careers. If you have someone that maybe by universal standards didn't live up to expectations or had some kind of drama in the midst of their career, they have a very strong motivation to tell the story in a certain way. They have a very strong reason to influence the narrative. You know, I'm the best that ever was. And it was that coach that didn't use me in the right position. And that's why I didn't perform. And it's kind of easy to buy into when you're in the moment and having a conversation with someone. And and sometimes they're not wrong, but I'm not saying it's universal, but very often that's what I find I have to be careful about is like, how is someone painting things that occurred to benefit a narrative that they're trying to push forward about themselves. And that's when you have to be able to call the coach in question or be able to call the the teammates who are willing to speak to you and, and get the full story. It's, it's about reporting 360 as opposed to just taking someone at face value. And I do a lot of one-on-one interviews. And so I, I just try to be smarter about how I ask the questions. Like I try not to get people to give me value assessments of themselves and rather talk about specific incidents or relationships because in general, no one's ever going to be like, yeah, you know what? I could have done better. I kind of sucked there for two years and you know, whatever. And maybe you get some people who'll do it, but a lot of people will paint the story of their career, especially once it's over in a different light. And you have to be aware of that and, and ready to, to deal with the flack that might come with it. Because then you have the fans who pipe in and they're like, no, he didn't perform. That's not what, and, and you see, so you just have to be aware of what the different perspectives will be. Every person's career has many different facets and many different ways to interpret it. And, and you just have to find ways to ask questions that are fair, I think. And, and that, you know, also just to source the other people around that particular person to make sure that you're getting as clear of a view into their career as possible. It is strange. I mean, athletes are, we've referenced this before on the show, but we always say that being in a, in a competitive sports team, they, they drill you as though it's like, it's like war. You almost, you're all just locked in this room with these guys for the, for eight, nine months at a time, you get to emerge for about 10 weeks and then you back at it again. And there's like athletes are so guarded, especially in team like competitive team sports. They're so guarded at times that I don't know. It's like just this this loyalty to to the badge or to to somebody on their team or something. And I've always found interesting that yeah, more players don't just say. I mean, yeah, to be fair, I was useless. I was absolutely awful. I don't know what I did wrong. It's ridiculous. And and I think it's it, that's kind of I don't know what we take us on this or not, but it, I, I feel like it's kind of crept into culture a little bit as well that people nowadays don't just say. Yeah, do you know what? I'm I'm really sorry. I'm I messed up. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I did wrong. Like I, I just I tried to do this and it went wrong and I made a mistake. People seem now to just not want to admit to mistake. I, I don't know why why that is. Social media is such an awful element of all this because your mistakes live on forever and yeah. You know, instead of just owning up to it, because it's like if you own up to it, you're still gonna get attacked. Like people are still gonna go after you and destroy you. I have seen you know, let's say someone misstep and say something that came off a little wrong and apologize and, and Twitter continues to bash them over the head. Um, so people are just afraid to say anything at all. And with athletes, 
especially in Russia, there's this fear that you're going to twist what they say. And I know for a fact that, you know, there are some athletes who have had terrible situations of being, of having their stories twisted for newsworthiness or sensation. And that's hard to overcome too. And, and I think in sports, the dramas play out really well. And it's really easy to lead with the kind of stupid little throwaway comment that seems suggestive as opposed to the bigger picture story, because maybe the bigger picture story doesn't sell as many newspapers, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I would agree that that we're in a world where people are more likely to just shut down and close off than speak. And, and if they make a mistake or anything else, owning up to it the value of owning up to it seems to decline uh, over time. And I, I disagree with it, but it, it just seems to be the way things are. So did you start out in journalism when print media was still the main focus or was I, transitioning at the time? It was transitioning. I started on a, an outlet actually that had just transitioned off of having a magazine to going strictly digital. Um, right. And I was always disappointed in that because I loved print. And I still love print and I read thing. I read physical books and, and yeah, everything else. Yeah. Can't help it. And um, I don't know. So I, I definitely was more on the digital age, but, you know, I think I was at, right at the cusp, to be honest. There's something about a book, isn't there? Just holding the book. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I, it just takes me back to my youth. I'm 39 years old. So when I was a kid, it was, there was no internet. There was no YouTube. So you just, you go to bed and read a book for two hours or an hour and a half or whatever. And it just kind of, now when I read a book, I just kind of get transported back to this sort of these halcyon days and roasted spectacles of, oh, wasn't it amazing yeah. back then? There's no problems in the world and all that kind of thing. Better for your eyes too. What are you reading right now? Anything good? I've actually started reading. Uh, I, I hardly ever read fiction books. I mostly read, oh God, I've admitting far too many things on this already, but I'm really <laughs> into, uh, I'm really into uh, the psychology behind serial killers and why they do Interesting. what they do. I've just started reading a fiction book by a, a thriller writer, um, an English writer called Mo Hader, and she writes a, a series of books based around uh, a detective. She is unbelievable. If you're into kind of detective novels or thriller novels, that kind of thing, definitely check out Mo Hader. She has a way of writing that's, if I was writing The Pencil is on the Floor, I'd write The Pencil's on the Floor. She has a way of writing it without using the word pencil or floor. Yeah, in <laughs> your brain, that. you can see exactly what she's saying. And these books are genuinely terrifying. And so I'm like, oh I'm God, reading them I'm at intrigued. night. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm like reading them at night under the bed covers going, oh my God, like, <laughs> he's behind you type thing. But it's a book. So yeah, at the moment I'm reading Mo Hader is, uh, is my uh, recommendation. Good recommendation. That's solid. My, mo my mom's really into stories like detective stories and stuff like that. And she's a huge Anglophile. So I'm going to have to point her in that direction for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And you mentioned before covering sports and finance, it's male dominated. D do you see any changes in that now? How many more females are coming through or is it like a, is the glass ceiling still there? I guess, I guess is the main question here. I've definitely seen a change in the reporting landscape. I think in sports reporting, you're seeing more and more women and they're not in that same tired role of like the pretty girl that throws to the panel. Yeah. Um, you're getting more and more women entrusted with the bigger, tougher stories and going after the features and sitting on the panel. And, and I'm happy to see that it's by no means at a place where we can rest on our laurels. And I think especially um, in, in many sports, there's still a lack of an absolutely embarrassing lack of people of color as well. And, and we have to be yeah. so mindful of that, but I do see an improvement for women 
on some level, I think there's still pervasive beliefs and systems that are difficult to overcome. Maybe not so much, well, I'm sure in the hiring phase, but also once you get in and around the organizations and you're operating. Um, but, you know, I, I do believe that there's there's a worldwide acknowledgement that this is an issue. And I think that, you know, we have a long way to go. And there are, of course, some that still refuse to acknowledge that that this has been very much a specific and, and privileged game for a long time. But yeah. I'm seeing I'm seeing things get better in the sense that I'm seeing at least more women represented. But I think um, particularly with minority voices, we have a long way to go. So have you seen have you noticed a difference then in the way that men are around you then from when you started in your career? Have they have they changed or is it more just a case of they're just being more quiet about things they wish they could say? Um, it's a good question. I have in finance. I was pleasantly surprised um, in the sense that if you you demonstrated that you knew your stuff early on, uh, you could kind of dispel some of the the misperceptions right away. It's not to say that I never had uncomfortable situations or that I never you know, felt that I was put in a, in a compromising situation, but I, I, I was never, I, I was very lucky, uh, perhaps not to encounter the volume of, of issues that I know certainly occur, uh, on wall street and other places in sports. I think it's a little slower to the uptick and I can speak more directly to what's going on in Russia than I can to the U S because I've worked in, in Russian locker rooms more recently. You know, I had a, a funny scenario with a head coach that that banned me from coming to practice and or didn't ban me, but told me I had to sit way up in the rafters. And if you're a hockey reporter, everyone knows that morning skate is the best time to to grab an athlete. Yeah. Um, and I remember just being like, why? And then he said, well, you know, you're a bit of a distraction. We can't really have you too close to the players, too close to the ice. So you're just <laughs> going to go to go sit up there. And I was like, oh, huh. And at the time, you know, not to say that I didn't think anything of it, but I was like, oh, okay. And so I, I went and sat away. And by the time I got down from the rafters to to grab people, they were already gone. And so I missed out on doing a couple of a couple of interviews. And I just remember standing there and, and like going into the bathroom and looking at myself really hard in the mirror for a minute and being like, did you do anything that that suggested that you were here to be a distraction? Is it the way you're dressed? Is it the way you present yourself? Did you say something that could be misconstrued, flirtatious, et cetera? And it took me a while to realize that it probably had nothing to do with me and everything to do with him and that he was yeah. making an absolutely sexist comment. But I think as, as a woman or as anyone that's been taught to look at yourself first in a situation, it's, it's hard. So yeah, I, I have encountered situations where it's more the low key, small things that, that keep, that keep women out of the game. And, and it's not so much the overt blatant, although I'm sure that still happens and, and we've heard reports of it happening, but we have to start tackling some of those smaller, low grade problems that happen subconsciously. Um, because those are the ones that sometimes are the most dangerous. Like I'm sure he didn't mean to actively subvert my, my professional, <laughs> my, my work and my, my career by making that comment. But in fact, he made it very difficult, if not impossible to achieve what I'd gone there to achieve. So that's the kind of stuff that I think we need to be more careful about. Yeah. He might not have, he might not have even meant anything by it, but the fact that it's even in his brain, means that there is a problem there that he has to fix and that society has to fix because you shouldn't you shouldn't even be in his brain you're just a reporter and that's it it's not i don't know it shouldn't matter if you're a man or woman it shouldn't matter if there's a dog sat there taking notes it shouldn't matter yeah. like if there's reporters <laughs> taking notes that's it like who cares 
Yeah, ex- exactly. It, it's the stuff that we don't even realize um, consciously is happening. That's the stuff that's the hardest to tackle, but probably the most important. Alrighty. Thank you to Jillian. Part two is up next week. Before we get to the news, it is brought to you by Wave Intel. Jason and his legion of interns are working hard, so you can seem smarter at that works conference in Western Canada. And now maybe Mary from accounts will give you the time of day because you impressed her with your knowledge of the Panthers power play. Not only does Wave Intel provide great hockey stats, but it might help you get some sexy action. Wave Intel online and on Twitter, being smart so you don't have to. Okie dokie, the news. In a not guilty verdict, the likes of which we haven't seen since the juice was loose, Gritty has been cleared oh, of allegations. <laughs> he took a, that he took a running start and punched a 13-year-old boy. This is important, Will. The official police statement read that the investigation has been completed and is no longer active, determining the actions of the individual portraying the Flyers mascot did not constitute physical assault as alleged. We can all breathe a sigh of relief because Gritty is not going to jail. So so they're saying he didn't punch him or that he didn't punch him enough for it to be assault? <laughs> it just says, does not constitute physical assault as alleged. That That's the thing. It's that, so they're saying he did something. He just didn't do... Just gave him a little, enough. little love tap. A little... That's all he did. Clipped around the ear. Did you know did you know the official bio on the Flyers website has Gritty admitting to bullying tendencies? <laughs> yeah, like the whole the whole <laughs> I don't That's think amazing. anyone was was shocked and saying, Oh, this is completely out of character for Gritty. No. And then did you see the video that got released the day after the verdict came down? No. Of him just like rejecting nuns in the basketball court. <laughs> oh Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper <laughs> proper strong arm in him. It was just, it just, a, yeah, just gritty at the basketball court for some reason playing against nuns, and he was just rejecting all their shots and being in their face. Just put on the tweet. He just put business as usual. Just fucking <laughs> Jonah Lomu on the basketball court. <laughs> <coughs> Fuck oh, sake. Like that. That to me is like very OJ. Is what that is. <laughs> oh, it's just great. Everyone's talking about the Sabres this week, or at least the past couple of weeks, because it's it's clear that they're not making the playoffs again. Everything's just going wrong with this team. As you Did you see that first goal in the Avs game last night no. or the night before? No, I didn't. Was right. it an own goal? I'm not making that up. It's maybe worse than an own goal. Plays it around the far side. Gergensen's trying to play that one up along the wall, but some good pressure. That one is eventually kept in by Graves and a shot that was close. Carter Hutton makes the save. Loose puck in front over the far corner. Doesn't know where it is. Loose puck from the side. Scores! Gerard! Ah, a gaggle of players had no idea where it was. And this game is going to end with Zach Bogosian just standing with the puck at his own blue line. 6-1, your final score. As the puck gets played in, there is a massive scramble at the net. Everyone's trying to dig the puck out. The goalie's trying to like sweep it up. He can't quite get it. He can't see it. Players are on the net quiet, can't quite see it. And then the puck ends up in the back of the net because the puck was nowhere near the goal. It was on the right wing. Oh, yes. And nobody saw it. It just it like spooned up into the air and gone off the glass and nobody noticed apart from, I cannot remember who the Avs player was. I think it was Sam Gerrard, maybe. Absolutely symptomatic of where the Sabres are at the moment. And a bad season, such a bad team. And they were booed off. They were booed off at the half and booed off at the end. And and they're being they're being looked at on all sides at the moment, and rightly so. And it was kind of like when we looked at the Devils, who've kind of been stagnant for a long time as well, apart from just having Taylor Hall for that one amazing four-month period. The Sabres have done like literally nothing since drafting Jack Heichel five years ago. And 
uh, seemingly haven't improved at all. I did have a quick look at two very basic stats, which was goals for and goals against since Eichel joined the team. So goals for in the league, since Jack Eichel's been on the team, they finished 26th, 25th, 31st, 24th, and are currently 21st. And goals against, they finished 16th, 20th, 29th, 23rd, and are currently 19th. Is it sad Jack now, not sad Connor? Do we now feel sorry for Jack Eichel? I think I think it always should have been sad Jack more than sad Connor, because the least Connor's made bloody playoffs. And won a Hart Trophy. Jack Eichel was not sulking about it as much as all this. So something that we'll never be able to know, but it'd be so interesting to to think about what whether they'd be in the same position if they drafted Conor McDavid. Yeah, if they yeah, got if that first moment. overall pick. Yeah, yeah. Would would they still be in the same position? Because in, in a lot of ways, the Sabres are very much like the Oilers, construction wise. But yeah, completely le- less of a foundation than Edmonton had before they traded it all away. But it's just a problem it's where. Just- where like McDavid is a whole step above Eichel, Drysdale is a whole step above Reinhardt, etc., etc. But apart from you know, those... Zach Cassian's a whole step above Jeff Skinner. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, dude! Sure as hell is fucking Jeff Skinner. Do you know how many points Jeff Skinner? By the way, making nine million dollars a year. Do you know how many points he's got this season so far? It's not like thirty or something. <laughs> you wish nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> 19 points fucking... for 9 million dollars I love being right when you're being really <laughs> ne- like being right about really horrible things like Jeff Skinner being really bad oh my god and, and Jack Eichel growing to regret his contract how long is it before he asks for a trade Oh, mate. does he ever do it do you think he'll do it I don't know I don't know that's the sort of thing that you don't how much does he enjoy being in Buffalo Obviously, on the surface, like Buffalo's not—it's not like he's in LA or Miami or anything like that. But like, does he enjoy the? It is a good hockey market around. Though, isn't it? Exactly, he's got good fans. Are the backroom staff good to him? Sort of thing. Does he like the rink? Does he like where he lives? Etc. Etc. Because he's he's from he's from Boston, isn't he? So it's not it's not a million miles away from home. I'm gonna say no. He doesn't ask for a trade because it's the NHL and shit like that never happens. But I fucking hope he does. Just to steal some information from future friend of the show, Dmitry Filipovic, in Jack Eichel's rookie season, the Sabres, 81 points, minus 21 goal differential, 23rd in the league. Buffalo Sabres on pace this season, five years later, for two points more, minus 16 goal differential instead of minus 21, and 23rd in the league. And this is with Eichel having like no a heart-worthy heart career year. He's like, yeah, 66 points he's got so far this year. I mean, he's playing amazing. That's the thing with like, so compare him to to the Devils a few years ago when when Taylor Hall had that when Taylor Hall won the heart. How on paper, who's a better team, the Sabers or the Devils? It's the Sabers compared to the Devils of that year, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. But there, it's that thing of like a culture of losing. Like the franchise is rotten to the core, a bit like the Oilers. Like you can't. There's just something about them that you just can't fix. I said this before, it doesn't help as well, but look at their division. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. I never, never had a chance <laughs> really, hell. And you could argue that three out of the four best teams in the entire league came out of the same division last season. Oh yeah, well, you could argue it and you'd be absolutely right. But even even then, they're 25th in the entire league. Even if you disregard division, they're fucking awful this year. And with, with, him, with him on the ice this season, they're up 45-32, to 32, five on five, <laughs> and up 88-54 uh, in total minutes. Without Jack Eichel, they're down 59-50, five on five, and 102-58 in 
in total. Like that's just part of that uh, inflated total. I'm sure is because he doesn't kill penalties when you're considering all, all situations. True, but he still still I feel like playing Jack Eichel 45 minutes a night might not be the best thing. <laughs> I, th- I think you should. I think you should. He just needs to play all situations, and when I say all situations, I mean literally all situations. Sixty minutes. Yeah, goal, <laughs> kit man, everything. He's got to fucking do everything. Yeah, that's the only way you can get uh, get guaranteed results. Do you not think he looks at? I was just going to say, like, do you not think he looks at Ryan O'Reilly and thinks, shit, that guy, that guy forced to trade out and got everything he ever wanted. He had it. He had it fucking right, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying after Jack Eichel goes to. Vancouver or whatever, a team that was kind of unfancied but could maybe do something, and then he wins everything. I'm not saying that, but he must look at a guy who he played with, who was constantly moaning, gets his move away, and then he he wins everything. He he fulfills his life dream, and I call it like five years. And it'll be, God, like if, and, it, and it'll be the same next year, because I can't imagine that the Panthers, the Lightning, the Bruins, and the Leafs are going to suddenly all just drop off and be terrible. They're not. No, no, exactly. I think that's a good lesson for, for young Jack that life isn't fair in the slightest. This has just come back to my mind and we had this conversation in one of our first ever shows and you said, why the fuck is Jack Eichel being so loyal to the Sabres for eight years? Yeah. It's insane. Why do these guys coming out of their real seat think they owe these teams eight years of their life? No reason whatsoever because they're fucking idiots. Imagine if Eichel had just signed for like five years or something and like say he was due to become an RFA like at the end of this year or something. He'd be able to get more money than he's earning now, and he'd be able to force for a trade because he'd just say, "I'm not fucking signing." Do you know what? That's an amazing point. Yeah, if he'd have signed for five years, oh my god! Yeah, right. if he'd have signed for five, he must be thinking that if I'd have only signed for five years, I'd be like, I'd be light in the tunnel for me now. Yeah, no, he's got he's got a fucking eight, and it's not getting any better. What's well, exactly the same? He started out on a bad team, and they're still a bad team. Another pop quiz question: Do you know how many forwards they've got signed for next season at the moment? I didn't, but I've I've literally just opened their uh, cat friendly page, so I can tell you it's. Oh, you swine! <laughs> Sorry, oh, it wasn't deliberate. I didn't have a, a moment of clairvoyance and think, "Oh, I'm going to lead." No, going to lead cat friendly here. Um, just so you know, people, the answer's four. They've got four forward signed for next season. Fucking four! <laughs> How is Jeff Skinner making nine million dollars? How? What? What mental, mental world are we living in? I think they have to pay Sam Reinhart. If I'm Sam Reinhardt, I'm like, right, nine and a half million, please. <laughs> yeah. If I'm any player on this team, if I'm any player on this team, I'm just saying, yeah, sorry, I just, there's no way. I just, I'll just hold out. I, I can't, care. I can't take Jimmy VC is like, I'll take mm, 10 million, please. <laughs> Mate, the worst thing about how many, how few players have signed for next year is they've only got three RFA forwards, and one of them is, <laughs> one of them is Kurt Lazar. <laughs> Everybody's everybody's just, leaving. Yeah, it's just rotten to the core from top to bottom. They need complete change of everything. Get rid of it. All. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you do it though, because as soon as you do that, that's adding on another few years to when they're relevant again. Which you know, is it? Yeah, uh, but then you see, look at the Oilers. Like we said, didn't we? Are they gonna? Are they actually gonna make it? And we were both kind of like, no, it's probably kind of like a mini rebuild where they're looking at maybe a year or two and then they're back in the game kind of thing. But they're right back in it now, so oh, yeah, can, you know they're in a fucking shit division. So yeah, fair point. Yeah, fair point. If, if the Sabers were in that division, we might be having a different conversation. If only there was a Stanley Cup winning coach out there who needed a job. Can't think, take over can't the think of anybody. Can't, yeah, can't, can't think of anybody. Single one. Yeah, but I how about Shiro Bab Super Team? How about that? <laughs> 
He translates as Ralph Kruger's fault. It's everyone's fault, Will. They need to fire the tea lady. They need to fire the, the, the fucking, the ball boy. <laughs> the fucking merch kid. It's so sad as well, because I'd, I'd like to see the Sabres do well. I want to see more of Jack Eichel. Me but. too. Like, I know I know it was referenced on uh, 31 Thoughts, but they had, amazing, they had amazing viewing figures again for the outdoor game. Yeah, it's it's they, one of the few places in hockey it. that actually cares about hockey. Even if their team's not in the finals or in a major market, like in a major game, they're still like, no, we're watching the hockey. Like We want to watch it. It's a great fan base. No one's going to give it to them, but they they deserve success. Or at least something. I think they need to move the Sabres. This needs an intervention. The, the city of Buffalo is addicted to hockey and, and it needs to stop. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting their loved ones because <laughs> they keep supporting this fucking woeful franchise. God, yeah. mate. Yeah, just look, in, just, look into the, just look into the numbers, everybody. It makes a terrible viewing. A terrible viewing. <laughs> do, do that while you're listening to, to Gloomy Sunday. <laughs> do you know, well, that they say that Gloomy Sunday is the worst song ever made in case of suicide? Did you also know that looking at Buffalo Sabres stat sheets is the worst known number crunching for suicide? <laughs> Nine out of ten stats nerds have been known to uh, consider ending it all. <laughs> yeah. The Sabres natural statue page has the uh, the Samaritans number at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, very good. Since we spoke, there's been two Battle of Albertas. <sighs> the first one, while some petulance, was kind of tame in a way because it saw Matthew Kachuk ask to fight the $13 million man, Zach Cassian, <laughs> who said no at first. <laughs> Cassian said, you know, you're sure. Sure, I want to do this. You don't have to if you don't want to. It's fine. Kind of playing Peacemaker, which was nice. Kachuk asked again. Kassian said, alrighty. So they go at it. Afterwards, everyone just gives their side. There's seemingly a little bit of begrudging respect almost. And we move on. Seems like it was quashed. And then we, and then we move on to last Saturday. And it was not quashed in any way. Back inside, Tim Calvin reaches back. And that is whistled down. And nobody is happy now. It's Inkey Gandhi with a late hook. And look out as Calvin is into it. And he wants a piece of somebody back there. Gandhi's coming back at Giordano. And now Giordano's coming up too. This thing blew over in a hurry. And Smith is coming up to center ice as this thing comes unglued. And Bear in the high slot here fighting. Looks like with Matthew Kachuk. It's Kachuk and Bear, and they are trading them. Bear comes over the top of the right. Kachuk comes back. And Blake Smith are going to go. As center ice, Talbot and Smith. Moving on both sides of this battle of Alberta. This is unbelievable. 11 goals, penalty shot, goalie fight, giant brawl. Both teams had the same emergency goalie, which was the best thing ever. Absolutely amazing. And it appeared that the Oilers players were, were fired up because after the shootout loss a couple of days earlier, Dave Riddick obviously flipped his stick. Uh, actually, first question, first question. What do you think about the stick flip? You for it? You against it? What do you think? Yeah, stick flip's fine. People need to fucking grow up. It's just a fucking stick flip. Leon Dreisaitl, you're, you get paid $8.5 million a year. You're one of the best forwards in the AHL and you're fucking getting all upset over a stick flip. Yeah, Riddick said, didn't he? Like, what am I supposed to do? Not celebrate? I won a, I, we won a game. I'm going to celebrate. I don't care. It's silly. I got really upset because the, the fucking the board that goes around the, the stadium said, "Flames win," after we lost. <laughs> so what? What do you want from me? And then you see on Saturday night after Riddick got pulled, 
the Oilers bench was like falling over themselves to give him shit. It was amazing. Oh, mate. <laughs> it was the best. That's such a something that tears me in two because that's great. I absolutely love teams giving each other shit, but the reason they're giving him shit is because they got so fucking upset about something. So I know. It's, the, yeah. it's like, what is wrong with you absolute children? They got so upset because he throwed a piece of equipment in the air and it landed on the ice. That was it. God's sake. Like, oh, he's celebrating like he won the Stanley Cup. Like, all right, yeah, go and have a go at Peter Skora. Fucking hell. I won't mind, though, but he didn't. I think if he won the Stanley Cup, he'd do a bit more than just skate off casually and throw a stick in the <laughs> yeah. air. I imagine there'd be more like jumping up and down or hugging of teammates. I hope if I ever do that, he does do that. Just flips the stick. He's like... <laughs> Yeah, nice. He just skates off. Cool. Didn't even stay out there for the parade or the uh, celebration yeah, or anything. Just fucking just, just goes off. like, yeah, I'm the fucking nuts. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> so the, the brawl starts because Sam Gagne has a dig at a puck that was under a Cam Talbot and it kicked off. Uh, Ethan Bear, <laughs> Matt Kachuk go at it. And then Mike Smith skates to centre ice and him and Cam Talbot go at it. Now, all right. It wasn't the best thing. It wasn't the best fight. I agree. It was over in like, what, three punches and they both fell over. But dude, it's a goalie fight. Goalie fights are amazing. I disagree, Dan. I wholeheartedly disagree. Oh. What, why does why does Mike Smith want to fight Cam Talbot? What's he done? Well, if you well, if you notice, if you notice, after Gagne digs at the puck, three flames jumped on Sam uh, jumped on Sam Gagne immediately. Okay, that's not Cam Talbot. And the rule problem. the unwritten the unwritten rule is meant to be it's not an odd man fight. It's one-on-one. -on -one, that's it. So I think he just thought, right, if this kick... Because the first person to start hitting Sam Gagne was Cam Talbot. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. How, just... how many times has Mike Smith done that to players in, in the crease? A million. I'm saying it's right, Will. Precisely one that's million what times. I'm not saying it's right, but that's what happened. And he didn't he didn't skate to center ice and go charging in there. He just stood there. And like, all right, I'm just standing here, just in case. And then Cam Talbot came over and then it was on like Donkey Kong. I just think the whole concept of a goalie fight is fucking dumb. Because it's like, specifically these two players that never have any interaction with each other in the game, two non-contact players, are like, right, we have, to, we have to fight each other. Fucking why? For what? For what purpose? Where you have a really shit three-punch fight, like you said, and then you fall over, and, and, and that's it. Who gives a shit? It's like the two GMs coming out there in sumo suits and having a little wrestle. Like, what? what does that... Don't you fucking dare tell me if the two GMs came down tonight and started fighting, you wouldn't think it was the best thing you right, ever that, saw in your life. That would be much better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but my point being is like a hockey fight is meant to be born from like, oh yeah, it's a passion of the game, you know, the tempers are really flaring down there, you know, it's when you're when you're trading paint like these fuckers are for sixty minutes, then of course tempers are gonna flare and blood's gonna spill. If Mike Smith wanted to fight one of his demon because he forgot his coverage, then yeah, I'd be fucking all for that. But <laughs> there's, there's a geezer that's 190 feet away from you. I'm gonna fucking yeah, but the unwritten rule are you can't have an odd man fight. And there was three guys. It was it was a well, it was a beatdown. It was a yeah, WWE style yeah, mugging. I'm, I'm, it was a beatdown, three on one. I'm not saying that's not it, fair. I'm not saying it wasn't a beatdown. But like, and, no, wait, why didn't... Right. and if Cam Talbot carries on, if Cam Talbot carries on in the fight, because the brawl had already started, it was already like, okay, this this might end up into a, okay, everyone's on. Mike Smith can't just stand there and leave his... T I get it. It's so stupid. I get it. I do get what you're saying. It's crazy. But Mike Smith can't just stand there then and let his team be outnumbered because then like, <laughs> you're a twat. <laughs> just letting his teammates get outnumbered. That's terrible. 
Well, if it really devolves into that, then yes. But the whole thing is like you're saying he's the good thing is that he stayed in the centre of ice. That just makes it even more staged. It's a staged fight is what a goalie fight is. And that's what we're trying to avoid as a league because they're fucking dumb. I mean, you're talking to a wrestling fan. I love staged fights. <laughs> they're my favourite kind of fights. <sighs> I'm trying to think of a good version. There's a reason why you can't think of anything, Will. Both yeah, because there's, there's nothing in this world that's as bad, dull and as stupid great. Oh. as a goalie fight. <laughs> It's one of those things, I completely agree with you, <laughs> but it was amazing. <laughs> I, just I don't think, know why. Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather see any other fight. Like I, I, I enjoy a good fight. I enjoy a good fight, but goalie fights are just so pointless. It's mad, though. It's mad. It was honestly over my entire timeline for maybe... Oh, yeah. If, I don't know, 50, 50, 60 tweets was, oh my God, it's a goalie fight. Oh my God, goalie fight, goalie fight. They just goalie fights sell. The NHL doesn't want to admit it, and the NHL won't like say that they like it. But goalie fights sell tickets. Yeah. It's incredible. And they it's, really it's insane. Shouldn't. I agree. I've said before, like they take fighting out of the game. All right, fucking, I don't care. Big whatever, I don't give a shit. But when there's a good fight, I don't know. There's that dumb male part of my brain that just fucking loves it. And when it's a goalie fight, oh man, it's like that time I saw a pigeon fight a squirrel. My mind was just completely like, like blown. That's the best thing I ever saw. That sounds really fucking cool. It was mental. It was like watching Godzilla fight Mothra, but like on a much smaller scale. It was insane. It was like five minutes. I literally, I swear to God, I stopped my car <laughs> and pulled over to the side of the road because I saw a squirrel fighting a pigeon. <laughs> nice. That's, that's good. I, I, don't know, I don't know what to say to that, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the best thing was? Was as I said before, that both teams had the same emergency goalie after that. Yeah, that's, and I was just that's thinking, a weird one. All right, these two goalies now have to fight because I want to see what's going to happen. This would have been complete chaos. And you know what the best thing would have happened? You know when a footy, when a goalie gets sent off and there's no sub-goalie and an outfield player has to go in goal because there has to be a goalie, what would they have done? I, I, wanted, I wanted, like, maybe, I don't know, I wanted Dave Tippett to be like, yeah, I'm sorry, Leon. I mean, but you, you've got to get the stuff on and <laughs> get in goal. Like, there's go. nothing we can do. We, this, we need a goalie. Like, this way you, you can play all your shifts with Connor. <laughs> The disappointing thing with that or, is it, it wouldn't have been a skater that goes in. It should be like the goalie coach or something like that. Or like... I know, I know. The, but the even so, even goal so. in fucking college or whatever. They would have to do like a, a call over the tannoy. It would have been that classic film thing. Has anybody here played in goal before? And some guy's like, yes, me. He just runs down. Right, we get need James. a goalie in here. It's an emergency. <laughs> Joe, I said this on Twitter, but it's the Chinese year of the rat. It's the NHL year of the goalie, for sure. <laughs> Year of the goalie. It is. Goalie goals, goalie fights, saves that completely change the landscape of the game. I'm telling you, year of the goalie. Something I really wanted to address about the Battles of Alberta here. Go on. Is the whole, you mentioned it off the top because it was in the first game, the whole Zach Cassian saying to Kachuk, oh, I, I, yo, are you sure you want to do this? Oh, I appreciate you doing this sort of thing. Everyone lauding Zach Cassian saying, oh, you know, oh, he said, you know, he gave Matt Kachuk a minute to think about whether he wanted to fight him or not. What would have happened if, if Matt Kachuk had said, actually, nah, second thoughts, I don't want to fight you? <laughs> so Zach, true. Zach Cassian wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, fair enough. You know, he didn't, you don't have to, mate. You don't have to. He wouldn't have been in the scrum afterwards saying, yeah, mate, you, sh- you shouldn't have to do that. It's not, you know, the whole thing sorted. He'd have fucking called them all, all names under the sun. He'd have probably 
sucker punched him. We'd probably be talking about Mac, Mac Chuck having a fucking concussion from what Zach Cassidy and Todd Batuzzi in him or something like that. It's just the most disingenuous thing for people, for A, Cassian to say it, and for B, people to be celebrating the fact that you said it when everybody knows it. it's not fucking, not genuine. I know. Yeah, I know, I completely agree. I completely agree. But still, what a game. 8-3, like I said. On, goals, penalty shots, goalie then, fights. Great, now, what a game. Fantastic. Another one for the last game of the season. Fucking absolutely love it. I know I know. it's said plenty of times, but please, just playoffs. This, please. Oh, playoffs. mate, I'll be all over that. All over that. Oh, for sure. Okay. Dustin Bufflin looks like that him and the Jets are working on a mutual contract termination that would result in Bufflin forfeiting the $8 million he was going to make this season and the $6 million he would have made next season. He'd be put on unconditional waivers, at which point then he'd become a UFA. So a simple question to you, Will. Would you take Dustin Bufflin right now? <sighs> no, nah, not right now, because he, he admittedly hasn't skated all year. <laughs> Do you think he's do you think he's topping three bills at the moment? Oh mate, without a doubt, he, he tops three bills most off seasons. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. He hovers around three in season. Are you, <laughs> are you familiar unit. with a man by the name of The Big Show? <laughs> yes, I am. It's I'd I'd take a I'd take a fire on him next season when we've got some proof of concept. But right now, absolutely not. Like what's his I just want to double check. Yeah, he's got a $7.6 million cap hit. That's a big fat no from me. But he's a good player, though. But if you, Great player. Yeah, if you if you had the room, though, and you get him, sign him for, you know, to like sort of two years starting next year. Cool, what, get um, like the, the Avalanche or something like that? Yeah, like if you've, got, if you've got the room to afford him for this season, and then you can sign him to a, you know, a contract for next season, the season after. Dude, there's those teams that need good D-men. After he became a free agent, then that's what I meant. Would you sign him? Not obviously not try and trade for anything now. Oh yeah, I definitely, I definitely try and sign him. I don't know whether he'll bother signing a contract while he's unfit, though. I suppose, but then you want to get him as quickly as possible, don't you? In case someone else snatches him up, you don't want to kind of miss. You don't want to be the team that missed out on getting essentially Bufflin kind of for free. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether he would sign a contract while he's unfit. I, I wonder if he'd almost oh, want to see, see. get fit. I don't know, do like a PTO with someone or something like that prove that he's actually fit and then maybe sign for like two million or something like that rather than just taking the league minimum now. I think when he trains, in theory, he's gonna be a perfectly hell he'll be a better bottom pairing defenseman than a lot of players in the league. What would you offer him? He becomes a free agent, oh. he's got no team. What would you, what would you be your offer? One year two million base salary with uh performance bonuses. A bit like the Corey Perry contract. I'd go I'd go two years. Yeah, but I'm thinking from Bufflin's point of view, he's probably not going to want to sign a multi-year deal. I suppose. Because Be- it's, it's hard Be- to... Uh, he becomes like a, it becomes a gun for hire, like Robin like Robin Lane. Well, yeah, <laughs> or, or even just giving him that flexibility. Under the table, say it's a bit of an evergreen contract or whatever, we'll have you as long as you want to stay. But I don't know what's happened with the Jets this year, whether it's a personnel thing or whether he just doesn't want to play hockey anymore or whatever it might be. I just get the sense that he's not going to want to have done this to get out of a current contract that's two, only two years left to then jump straight back into a multi-year deal. So I reckon, yeah, offer him, offer him one year, two, two and a half, three base salary, and then performance bonuses based on whatever it might be. Basically re- relying on him being somewhat close to what Bufflin used to be to bump him up to five max. 
It's going to be a while before we know, but fucking hell, did you just get dropped in the shit this season? Yeah, cool. Poor, poor them. Unless it turns out that they've done something terrible to Big Buff. I can't imagine it, though. He's like a god out there, isn't he? They love him. Well, I, d- I don't know. Like, This is the thing. No, nobody knows what's really gone on. Plenty of teams interested, obviously. Plenty of teams already being sort of marked as, oh, he could go here, he could go there. Like Florida, Dale Talon said straight away, you know, we're looking to add a... a, a, a a veteran D-man to the call. We think it might help the <laughs> might help the team. Well, ta- <laughs> no way. Talon's one who drafts him, isn't he? So yeah, yeah. And Joel Quenville is there, and they like worked together before. <laughs> oh my god, wouldn't that be a massive coincidence? <coughs> and he loves to fish. Florida has water, and I'd imagine there's fishing. <laughs> he loves to fish, and Florida has water. That's I'm amazing. <laughs> but he's not. He's not going to go to Columbus, is he? He's not going to go to Nashville. Oh, fair point. There you go. <laughs> fair there you go. Point. Not going to go to, to the Arizona Coyotes, famous for playing in the desert, Dan, one of the driest areas <laughs> in the world. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it's like for Florida to get a buff and they should just take him out on like marlin fishing or something. She's like, look at this, look what you can do here. Forget the hockey, like, look at the fishing we've got, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, between you and us, yeah, between you and I, Dustin, we're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway, so you can start fishing as early as April. <laughs> You'd have three months fishing. It's time for fishing season. You could play. You could do ice hockey season and fishing season every year. What's not to love? Right, I'm, I'm liking the offer, but can you promise me we're not going to make the playoffs? Can you promise me? And can you include some kind of uh, fishing vessel? I need some kind of boat, please, in my contract. Oh, mate, I drove past a massive boat on the back of a lorry on the way home today. Massive old thing. There Boats are the worst. Oh, Boats are the I worst. Hate that I'd say it's probably the only true like phobia I've got is like big boats, and specifically oh really being in the water with them. Oh, I don't mind that. I just meant like if you owned one, it would be the worst. Oh, oh no, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, what's the old saying? It's, it's better to have a friend with a boat than own a boat or whatever it is. Uh, exactly. So you've been on you've been on a ferry then? Oh yeah, like I don't mind being on them really. It's the idea of being at the bottom of one if that makes any sense. You spent the whole time crying. <laughs> uh, no, it's, like I said, it's, it's like I'd be more freaked out being on the dock standing next to one than being on a boat, if that makes sense. Kind of, but also kind of no. It's like the sun. It's your phobia, so that's fine. It, imagine, I'm not going to judge. Imagine being in the sea, swimming in the sea on, on your Todd, and you're next to like a big freighter. That's such a weird scenario. What happened where you're in the sea What's and a fucking jo- like a, a a cruise ship's coming past you? It's, and you're it's like, not, oh shit! It's not. It's just it's just the sort of thing that makes my skin crawl. Like, I, oh, oh, I'd hate it. I would absolutely hate it. That's unbelievable. It's All right. <laughs> absolutely unbelievable, Jeff. Oh, Quick little things to finish off. Uh, shout out Stephen Johns, first NHL hey, goal in go. God knows how long. In front, yep. in front of his mum and Good dad. For you. Yep, and do you know what? I only I only noticed that because you shouted him out on the show, and I and I was like, okay, the system works. Will told me about this on the show, and I now notice this, and it was nice. And his little his uh, his post game interview was really sweet as well. Yeah, I still haven't watched it, but apparently it's really really emotional, really nice. It was, it was nice. And then finally, last time we discussed the NHL team of the decade, and we uh, we chose a couple of goalies that we thought might get in. Neither of us thought to pick Mark Andre Fleury, Mate. because why would you? Yeah. <laughs> A, a, a goalie, that was insane. A goalie who lost his lost his starting job and was a backup for one of his Stanley Cup wins this this decade. Yeah, definitely goalie of the decade. 
I, I forget what the rest of it was. We were pretty accurate with the rest of it, weren't we? Because it was fairly predictable. Mate, Doughty and Keith. That's disgraceful. How can you have Drew Doughty over Eric Carlson? How? I told you why. I told you why. Fucking 200 hockey men. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then the second team was, uh, yeah, Stamkos, Malkin, Bergeron, Chara, Carlson, Chara. and Lundqvist. Yeah, for the second team. Yeah, Mate, I mean, all due respect to Zidane and Chara, like... I don't know about that one, Chief. I had Ch- I picked Char in my second team. I thought I thought he deserved it. I said he's not been elite for like five years, though. You know he captained the losing Stanley Cup final team last season. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. What? So he was, he's not their seven number one, months ago. He's not their number one team. That doesn't mean he's fucking incredible, does it? Kimo Timonen <laughs> won a Stanley Cup. Doesn't mean he's like a number one defender. Three times Stanley Cup finals captain. He's all right, I suppose. Not that good. So, like, what what does having a C on your chest mean for for making you one of the best players in the world? Absolutely, dude. He's a shut. He's shut down defenseman. He's t- like ask any any player will tell you he is terrifying to play against, and he's very hard to. It's like he's in like damn near impossible to play. Yeah, against. he's he's very good. I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's fucking shit. I'm just saying he's not one of the four best defensemen of the entire decade. Who would you have gone with? John Klingberg. So Doughty Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> Doughty, Carlson, Keith and Chara To me that was like obvious It was those four, that's the four I thought I'd have gone for Essel and Dell, John Klingberg uh, Mira Haskinen And yeah, probably Stephen Johns now that he's back um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd, have, I'd, have gone, I'd have gone Keith, Carlson Yeah, second team's hard What, uh, Victor Hedman? No What do you mean no? <laughs> I mean the opposite of yes Nah No yeah, I think I'd have probably I'd have probably had Doughty on my second team, probably. Like I said, you, I would have made the I would have personally I picked Carlson, but I to, I totally get why the NHL and everyone else would oh, have yeah, picked Doughty. Definitely. He won two cups for fuck's sake. It's and he was he was very good. He was very good. Don't get me wrong. What about what about Brent Burns? There you, uh, there you go. Was it Drew Doughty that said that Brent Burns can't defend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Drew Doughty says a lot of stuff. <laughs> Fair point. What about, what about Ryan Suter? I'd probably have Ryan Suter over. Ah, no. I don't know. If you're even partially serious about that, our friendship is over. Hey, I don't know. Ryan Suter's better now than Chara is now. All right. We're never going to get anywhere with this, but you're crazy. What about... Um, what about... Uh, Nate Schmidt? I don't know. See? Just, just, this proves my point. This proves my point. All, all I'm saying... All I'm saying is that Chara hasn't been elite since 2016. Yeah, but now there's Duncan Keith. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yes! Yes, I would want! <laughs> yeah, it's a problem with defensemen. Like, they're all fucking shit is the thing, isn't it? Who cares about defensemen anyway? It's all about the goals, baby. <laughs> never, Yeah, never see a D-man leading the lead in scoring, do you? Exactly. That's why. Hang on, if, never mind. If being Let's a D-man on. was cool, Conor McDavid would be a D-man. Last thing, man versus eight-year-old. Hey, Will, you schmuck. You're going to get roasted by an eight-year-old, you fool. You did pull back another point, Will. Oh, would you like that? So only down by eight now, but you are running out of runway, as they say. There's not long... If <laughs> You can have need more than a point a week at the moment, so... That's right, I just need my runway to be two feet longer than the plane is, and I'll be all right. It's <laughs> a good point, that's a good point. All right, this week's games, Lightning Penguins. Oof, lightning, you're on absolute tear. Oilers shot. This is the Penguins who are second in the Metro, by the way. I'm just yes. Okay. This is the Lightning that are like sixteen four and one in their last twenty one games. 
So, doing my best Brett Ritchie impression there. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Oilers Sharks. Uh, oh. Oilers. Yeah, you got to pick the Oilers there. Sharks are just... <sighs> yeah, God, before you... we forget... Oh, no, go on, I was, I was just, but it's still the Oilers. I don't, I don't care how many players the Sharks are missing. Like It's still the Oilers. Still the Oilers. Actually, yeah, I'll save that what I was going to say for next time. doesn't matter. Mm. Devils, Kings. Oh, Jesus. Kings. Yeah, why not? Vegas, Hurricanes. <sighs> Hurricanes. Both teams fighting for their playoff spot at the moment. Jeez, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Two yeah. very good teams. And then Canadi- Canadians, Leafs. Uh, oh, oh, Leafs. I've got faith in Jack Campbell. Shout out to uh, to Dyson Sphere. Ken Dyson pointed out that might be the game of the uh, the haves versus the have-nots, as they'd have you believe. The rich, rich versus poor, good versus evil. It depends on who you, who you decide to be good and who you decide to be evil. That's the big question, isn't it? That's always the big question. There we go, everybody. Thank you for listening. Will, any last words? Um, whoever is out there listening that is able to cure the most annoying cough in all of the seven seas, uh, please do get in touch. There we go. Take care, folks. We'll talk to you later. Peace. Peace.